Who's glad they came to church today? Come on. Come on. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want you to grab it and go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Um, you don't have a Bible, grab you version. Uh, some of you are standing, some of you aren't. Everybody stand back up. We're going to... Don't make those who are standing feel awkward. They're just a little more spiritual than the rest of us. They, they're catching the anointing with what they're doing. So if you have version that app, uh, go to the book of Romans. And by the way, when you go there, uh, look under events. You'll see Core Church, and you can find all the scriptures, place to take message notes, and uh, daily devotional, and all kinds of stuff about what's happening here in our body. That's there for you. So we're in our series called Hanging with the Fam, and, and this series is all about uh, the church family. Like, turn to somebody and say, we are family. We are family. Now, they might be blood, but they may not be blood. It might be your blood. It might be the blood of Jesus. But as followers of Jesus, we are a church family. And, and we've been talking about this idea that the church is about the people, uh, it's not the place that we gather, it's the people who gather in the place. And so we're going to look at a little bit more in depth on that today. It's been such a, a great series. So Romans 12, uh, Paul is an apostle of Jesus. If you're new to the scriptures, uh, he had this miraculous conversion. He went on to start churches all over the world. And he was the original church planter and church launcher and did it all over the place. And so he wrote this letter to uh, those in Rome. And in verse 9, he said this to the uh, Christians there. He said, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And we talked about that in, in week one of this series. And then verse 11 says, never be lazy. I like that. And I love that the Bible says, don't be lazy. Parents, you can't use that on your kids. So when you go pick them up from core kids, don't say, thus saith the Lord, don't be lazy. Don't do that. Kids, do not use this against your dad when he's sitting down napping. Let him nap, okay? Uh, but it says, don't be, don't be lazy. And it says, uh, so it's never be lazy, but work hard, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Daniel talked about that a couple weeks ago how as a family we serve together. Did a great job with that. And where I want to talk about today is uh, verse 12 and 13. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always eager to practice hospitality. Today I want to talk to you about family dynamics. The dynamics in a family, they can be crazy at times, but we're going to talk about family dynamics. Let's pray, and then I'll let you sit down. Father, so grateful for the work you've already done in this place today, so grateful for your spirit that is here doing a great work, and now we just need your spirit to continue to speak to us through the scriptures. We're ready. God, we're ready. So give us a word today in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, now y'all can sit down. Well, a couple months ago, I uh, got together for breakfast with some very good friends of mine, and we went to Tally's. Um, anybody been to Tally's? Tally's, a Tulsa tradition. Um, wow, I didn't see very many hands. That was very disappointing. How many of you have been to Tally's? Okay. How many of you have not been to Tally's? Raise your hand in shame right now. Look around. Pray for these people. What's wrong with you? Man, you are not a legal resident of the city until you've been to Tally's. 
It's amazing. They have such incredible Tulsa food. And um, they, they, the, the food just kind of spills out over the plate. And I had not really been there for breakfast before. And so I got the breakfast menu and I was looking and I saw they had on there a cinnamon roll. Now, I got a thing for cinnamon rolls, okay? I, I love them because my wife, Laura, those of you who come, you know Laura, she makes the best cinnamon rolls in the world. Thank you for helping me. Okay, sorry you had to be prompted for that. Okay, but she does. She makes her, her cinnamon rolls. They're so good. They did a, a pie night for a fundraiser for Big Stuff Camps for our youth uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I wasn't able to be here for it, but they sat out in the lobby. They were auctioning off her cinnamon rolls, and a brawl almost went down in the lobby between three bidders. They were angry, and so they just gave all three of them three different orders. So Laura went from one to three orders of cinnamon rolls, but it all goes for camp. We're pretty excited about that. And her cinnamon rolls are amazing. So um, yeah, you can uh, clap for that. Sure. That's awkward clapping. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if we're clapping for big stuff or Laura or we're just clapping to clap. Okay. But uh, I love them. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm there and, and I'm like, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, maybe I shouldn't, but I'm like, she's not here. <laughs> They're like, I'm going to get me a cinnamon roll. And so I order the cinnamon roll. It comes out, and it is the size of the plate. And, and, and the lights from the diner are glistening <laughs> off of the glaze. And, 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 and the, the steam is warping up like an aroma unto the Lord Almighty. I mean, it was. And then when I... I carved into it. It just melted like butter in my mouth. It was, I am telling you, this is uh, the second best cinnamon roll I have ever had in my life. (laughs) I mean, it was so, so good. And I thought to myself when I left, I thought, man, I am coming back and I am getting another one of those. I mean, it was that good. But I haven't been back in three months. And here's why. Because the, the cinnamon roll was not enough to bring me back. You know, in, in the church today, um, I think I've seen this subtle shift taking place over the past decade that it's becoming more and more about the cinnamon rolls in the church. Let me explain there, uh, we are in an era, an unprecedented era, where worship music is at a level it has never, ever been at before. We have access to some of the greatest musicians and greatest music, and it is being done in churches, including this one, right? I mean, our worship here, come on now, our worship team, amazing. I mean, we are, I don't think y'all understand, we are so spoiled here, just go visit a few other churches and you'll see, holy smokes, we, the giftings on this stage is unbelievable. And then the access we have to preaching. Preaching is at a time when the communicators are the best, honestly, the world has probably ever seen. It is unbelievable. We have access. You can listen to it at any time, although I know none of you ever do that because you get enough from right here. <laughs> yeah, that's a, thank you, honey. That was my wife. I appreciate the support on that one. But it's true. I mean, it's just amazing the level uh, of worship. But what's interesting is as the level of worship and preaching has risen, church attendance has fallen. 
Preaching and worship is at an all-time high, but attendance in the United States of America is at an all-time low. I want you to think for just a moment um, where you're at with Jesus, okay? Just, just for yourself personally. Maybe today you'd say, I identify that I'm not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you'd say, I, I'm a new believer, that I, I'm following Jesus, but I, I, I honestly don't have any, I have nothing figured out. I'm just winging it, okay? And then maybe you'd say, I'm, I'm a growing, maturing believer, that this idea that, I mean, I'm starting to get into the word, and I'm, I'm getting into a core group and starting to serve, and, 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 and I'm starting to get my legs underneath me and get a little bit of strength. Or maybe you would say, I'm a seasoned believer. Like, man, I've been following Jesus for a long, long time. His word is deep within me. My feet are steady. They will never be moved. So think about where where you're at. Now I want you to think about how how often you come to the church gathering on a Sunday. Maybe for some of you, it might be, man, I'm here every time the doors are open. Some of you might be three to four times, three or three out of four times in a month. Maybe for some of you, it's every other Sunday. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's once a month or once every six to eight weeks. Now, correlate that. Think about how often you come. Now, correlate that to where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. So they asked, uh, they did a survey, and the latest statistics are out, and, and they bear out and show that attendance is not only down, but also engagement is down. What they have found is they asked people, and they found that those who identify themselves as a committed follower of Jesus, these are people who say, I'm in the word, I love Jesus, there's no going back, he's my all in all, all that, sing all the songs and that. They said, they asked them, how often are you going? And the surveys that have come back have said that people are coming once or twice a month. That's committed followers of Jesus. That's not people who say they're not followers. That's not new believers. That's committed followers of Jesus who are saying, I come once or twice a month. And some of them say, I come once, maybe every six or eight weeks. See, the cinnamon rolls aren't enough to bring us back. The interesting thing is, this isn't a new problem. See, sometimes Christians, we like to say, oh, it's the worst it's ever been. It's never been like this in the history of the world, and I don't know what's happening. And and then all you have to do is look at the Bible. And what you see is sometimes we look at the scriptures and and we glamorize these people. We glamorize these people. Like they never did anything wrong, never sinned. They lived the perfect life, and they were in church every week and, and worship, blah, 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 blah. But when you really dig down on the scriptures, you see these are a bunch of jacked up, messed up people just like us. That give you some hope? That gives me some hope. They were messed up too. And so 2,000 years ago, they were having the same problem, so much so that the author of Hebrews wrote a letter that they distributed to all of the churches, and he said this in his letter, don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. The latest survey and statistics came back and said committed followers of Jesus, they weren't going to churches often then either. And what's interesting is there's a lot of reasons why they were not coming, but what's crazy is they had access to the hall of fame of preachers. I mean, they had like, hey, next Sunday come, Peter's talking. Oh, and then two weeks we're going to have John. Hey, by the way, next month be here because Paul's going to be here. And by the way, Silas preaches here every week. And still they were struggling meeting together. And I think this is why church was never meant to be about the platform. It's supposed to be about the people. 
In fact, I would almost say that we have the chairs facing the wrong way. I don't think they should really be facing the platform. If, if we were really doing church the right way, I think one of the things we would do is we would unhook the chairs and we would, we would face one another because that's what the church is about. I'd, I'd like for you to write this down. There's a message notes in, in the chair back in front of you or you can use you version, but I'd like for you to take some notes today. Here's the first thing I want you to write down because this is where we're going. And I'm gonna use some old school terminology because I, I like this, I like the way it sounds. The, the pew... The pew is more important than the platform. The pew is more important than the platform. Uh, you guys, if you're old enough, or maybe you just know that term, pew, but when you think of the word pew, I think you think of church. You think of church people, and, 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 and the pew is more important than the platform. That's what this series is about. Like, the church is a family. It's all about relationships. It's all about us. And in Romans chapter 12, Paul addresses this, and he reminds us, that we need each other. He, he reminds us why the gathering together really matters. Look back at Romans chapter 12 and look again at verse 12. He says this, rejoice in what? Say this with me, what? Our confident hope. One more time, rejoice in what? Our confident hope. If you're taking notes, write this down. Hope is in the pew next to you. Hope is in the pew next to you. What does Paul say? He says, rejoice in our confident hope. In, in other words, we need one another. Because, I mean, let's be up, man, it, it's, hard, it's hard to uh, have hope alone. Have you ever tried to encourage yourself? You know, just pick yourself up, make yourself feel better? You know, it's, it's, it's like high-fiving yourself. <laughs> you know, like, you can do it. Pat myself on the back. You can do it. You can do it. Come on, come on. Good game. Come on, come on, Brad. Come on, come on, Brad. Come on, Brad. Get back out there. This is weird. That was weird. It, it, it's so. It, it's so hard to keep hope alive on your own. It's so hard to keep hope going and encourage yourself. I, I think many times when you're trying to just encourage yourself, it feels like uh, your your breath on a cold day. As soon as you see it, it just evaporates. But there's something different when somebody who's a follower of Jesus, who's a believer, when they speak hope over you. I, I think it's kind of like honey. It, it, it's just, it, it just is sweet, and, and, and it's just kind of sticky. It just sticks with you. Like, and, I, and then the reason that is is because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's something the world can't give to us. And, and, and when you come together with another believer and you speak hope over someone, what happens in that moment is the Holy Spirit speaks through you, through your spirit, to their spirit, and brings your spirits together and makes it stick. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's not you. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them, it's not you. There's just something about the Spirit of God and how he uses us. And, and when somebody speaks, it, it just sticks in you. That's why Paul says, rejoice in our confident hope. A, a few years ago, uh, several years ago, honestly, our, our, our church was, was struggling. And we were, just, I mean, we were just trying to get through some things. And it was difficult and slow going and overwhelming. And I was having sleepless nights. And, and I was struggling. I know you don't think uh, preachers are supposed to struggle, but... But I bleed like you bleed. And I, I remember it was a particular point where I was just down. And I remember I was sitting over in the church parking lot in front of the office. 
and I, I called a good friend of mine, and I said, man, I, I, are, you, are we going in the right direction? Because it don't feel like it. And, and I'm like, should we maybe think about trying something different? And I remember his words that he spoke to me. He said this, Brad, stay the course. Stay the course. And something when he said that just imparted it to my spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke through his spirit, touched my spirit, brought our spirits together, and it just stuck with me. And I remember so many times during those difficult days and during that difficult struggle, I would come back to that over and over and over again, that I I needed that. I just stay the course. That's what the spirit does. But what the enemy wants to do is the enemy wants to steal your hope. That's, That's what he is all about. And so his drill and what he wants to do is keep you out of church. He don't want you coming on Sunday. He, he doesn't want you here, so what will he do? He'll do things like, he'll get you busy. I'm, I'll run into people sometimes, and I'll say, hey, how you doing? I go, oh, man, I haven't been in church because I've just been so busy. But, but think about that for a moment. Do you, do you think on, on a Sunday, when, and, and I realize there are some obligations that, that we have that, that are critically important, but if we're all honest, if we're all honest, most of the things that we do don't really trump worshiping Jesus together with the body. Amen. Remember, Rabbi Moshe was here, and he spoke to that and how important it is for us to have that time of worshiping God. But so often we say, man, I just, I'm so busy, and, and, or, or we get distracted, man, we just, we just get off doing other things. Or here's one, we, the, the, the enemy will come in, and, and he'll warp your priorities. He'll make you think that what you're doing is more important than being with the body of Christ. I'm just telling you, it is the craziest world and the craziest things are happening right now among followers of Jesus. Some of the decisions that followers of Jesus are making and their reasoning for not being with the body of believers and worshiping God Almighty in his splendor and his glory are crazy. Like, I just think for a moment, is this, I think, man, if you just stopped and said, where's that voice coming from that says, what I'm doing right now is more important than being in the house of God. Is that really God? Because the enemy will come to you and go, man, it's not that big a deal. You're a solid believer. You can miss a week. You can miss another week. But you're solid, man. You got your feet. The scariest thing is this happens to those of us that are seasoned believers and maturing believers. It happens a lot to us. New believers, I don't have to even preach this to new believers because new believers are always here. Because you're like... I can't make it one more day without the body of Christ. If I don't have them, I am totally going to tank. But your seasoned and mature believers, we get cocky. I got this. God understands. God knows. This is really important. This, what I'm doing right now, I'm telling you, it's really going to pay off. And you're buying into the culture and buying into what the world is telling you to value and, and I, so what I want to encourage you to do is just think through with whatever it is you're doing on a Sunday, just ask that question. Is this, what, is this the voice of God telling me to do this? Or is this another voice that's telling me to do this? Because the enemy likes to come in and he likes to distract us. And that's why Paul says we have, Paul says this, we have a confident hope. Because what happens is when you get isolated and when you get away from the body of Christ, listen, you're left to try to encourage yourself. Again, doing that. 
And that only works for so long, and it can only carry you so far. And if he can get you out of the house, get you away from God's people, get you from worshiping him and being in the body, he can get you to eventually give up on your confident hope. Because our confident hope, he says this, our confident hope is in who? Jesus. It's in Jesus. That's what we do. When we come together, we're not just here for ourselves, but we're pointing one another to the hope, to Jesus. Like this whole thing we did down here, the whole thing about everybody coming down here, about everybody gathering around, what were we doing when I said, hey, if you're a seasoned believer, a maturing believer, get down here, get down here, get down. What was I doing in that moment? I was saying, we are going to, hey, we're going to impart our hope right now. We're going to impart our faith right now. We're going to help point everyone back to the source, and that is Jesus. And that's a really good place to give Jesus some praise because he deserves it right now. Hope is in the seat next to you. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them, I need to borrow your hope. I need to, I need to borrow your hope. So Paul next says in verse 12, he says this, be patient in trouble. Be patient in trouble. Write this down. Grace, grace is in the pew next to you. Grace is in the pew next to you. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we're just not that patient with one another at all. Like somebody is struggling and and they're going through a difficult time and you're like, seriously? How much longer? You're, You're really still dealing with that? Are you kidding me? Somebody gets up the the guts to be vulnerable and and, they, and they, they admit a sin, they admit a problem or a struggle that they're having, and they, they put it out there, and we're like, whoa, I'm going to take a step away from that, because I don't want that to get on me. Or, or somebody's not growing at the pace at which we want them to grow, and we're like, come on, pick up the pace. What is wrong with you? And what happens is, instead of being full of grace, instead of being merciful and compassionate, we end up being judgmental. We end up looking down on, on those people. We end up looking down. We end up, we end up talking. We end up gossiping about them. We, we end up getting just frustrated about those people. But Paul says, be patient in trouble. That's what core church is. Core church is a place of grace. Man, it is a place where we grind it out together. It's where we persevere together. But here's the thing about patience we all need to know is patience does not mean permission. Patience doesn't mean permission. It doesn't mean that we overlook somebody's flaws and their sin and their shortcomings or or that we make excuses for it. No, not at all. In fact, if you look back at the writer of Hebrews, the same, same person who said, don't neglect the meeting together, if you back up a couple of verses you'll see that he says this, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I don't know about you, but I don't like being spurred. Anybody like, I mean, that's just like, ah! I mean, that's painful. But every once in a while, we as followers of Jesus, when you have earned the right to be heard in someone's life, you need to spur them on. They might need a kick in the shorts. I mean, they might need you to get up in their grill. But here's the thing. We do it with grace. We do it with compassion and mercy. How do you do it with grace, compassion, and mercy? When you're looking at them, reverse and remember, I was once them. 
How do I want them to instruct me? I'm telling you, I needed to be spurred on. I'm glad I was spurred on. And I'm glad there's times that many times it was done with so much, so much grace. I think so often we just give up on people too easily, too quickly. You know, the earth has four seasons. Fall, winter, spring, and summer. I don't like winter, especially in Oklahoma. Just nothing happens. So everything dies. There's no snow. There's no skiing. There's no fun. Just wind and ice and bleh. I mean, it's winter. I look outside my back window at my garden. looks awful in winter. I'm like looking out there, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? I want to get out there, and, I, and when I go out there, I see all this dead stuff, and I don't know a lot about gardening, and I'm not sure, should I cut that, or should I keep that, or should I, is that dead? Does that come back? I'm not sure if that comes back. I, 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 I don't know. And, and what I do know, though, is that when, some, when whatever's happening on the surface, what looks dead on the surface, there's something happening below the surface. There's something, because I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, when it started raining, man, boom, everything started getting green in my garden. People are the same. We all go through seasons, fall and winter and spring and summer, and we all want to hang out with people in summer. Ooh, put my sunglasses on, put my copper tone, my Hawaiian. I'm just, we're going to be at the beach, and we're going to little, get them in the little umbrellas. This is going to be fun. I want to be with people in summer. It's fun to be with people in their summer. It's horrible to be with them in their winter. But that's where we grind it out. That's where we stay the course. That's where we help them. That's where we work with people. Because listen, what is, appears to be happening above the surface, what appears to be dead, may not be dead at all. Because God might be doing something under the surface. And God may want you to plant a seed in the midst of their winter that will lead them to their spring and their summer. I always laugh when people see me and, and they give me way too much credit for my spirituality. They're like, man, Brad, you're just, gosh, you're just so patient and you're so kind and so compassionate and merciful. And I'm like, you obviously don't know me. <laughs> and then I go, you, you really didn't know me 30 years ago. Because like 30 years ago, in fact, I mean, I didn't even have friends 30 years ago because I was a believer, but man... I had, listen, when I, if I would have taken a spiritual gifting test back then when I, was, when I was a believer then, I would have scored a negative five in compassion and mercy. I wouldn't even have been at zero. I'd have been below the line. Here's the one. Don't do what this guy is doing. My philosophy, Laura can back this up, my philosophy, if somebody, when it came to counseling, and by the way, I wasn't a pastor at the time. Thank God I would have messed a lot of people up. But my counseling advice was this, and I quote, get up, get going, get over it. That's what I told people. Get up, get going, get over it. Okay? Listen, and if you want to know what I was like 30 years ago, go find Larry Snowbarger and ask him what I was like 30 years ago. And by the way, if he tells you what I was like 30 years ago, I'll tell you what he was like 30 years ago. <laughs> but we got to be patient with one another. Grace is in the pew next to you. And then Paul, I think, gives us just the best way to just, just distribute hope and, and the best way to, to show grace to one another. Three simple words in verse 12. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Well, turn to somebody in front of you, behind you, and say, don't stop praying for me. Please don't stop praying for me. Don't stop praying for me. 
Write this down. Here's why prayer matters. Here's why it's so important. Power, power is in the, is in the pew next to you. Power is in the pew next to you. You were here last Sunday. We gathered and we prayed for uh, Randy Marcus. And what I told you last week was Randy had had a sudden heart attack. He's my age, and he's the children's pastor at Regency Park Church of the Nazarene, which is one of our sister churches. And he was battling and fighting for his life, and we stopped and, and we prayed. We prayed that God would rise him up and do a miracle, and he needed a miracle because he was in a coma. And then Monday morning came. And Randy took his last breath here on this earth and took his first breath in heaven. I'd love to tell you I was super excited about that, but it just stunned me. I just sat at the coffee shop I was at and just sat there for like an hour and a half, just couldn't focus on anything else. I was just stunned. It didn't make any sense. So Friday, we, we gathered with our the churches from all across northeastern Oklahoma. It was so beautiful on, on Friday. It, they had this, we had to be in a large church because it was packed out, packed out. And it, it was, I was so proud of the Capital C Church coming together to love a family. And then I left the funeral got in the car next to my wife and we drove away to our life, which is what we all do. But not Marcy. And not her two girls. It's a completely different reality for her. But I'm telling you what I am so thankful for. She has amazing church family. Regency Park Church of the Nazarene is an incredible church, and I know that they are loving her and her girls and praying for her and lifting her up and encouraging her and helping her and coming alongside of her, and she will never be alone. Life is brutal. So many things that are unexplainable. Some of you can relate because you've had a tragedy in your life and some of you, a tragedy is to come. And what's crazy is you have one dark period of your life, you have one tragedy, you have one broken piece of your life and you think, good, I'm glad I'm through that. But man, it's this life and it's so broken that we end up, it happens again. It's going to happen again to all of us. Where will you be in that moment? Will you have a body that will wrap around you, that knows you, that will pray for you, that will comfort you, that will help you? Man, I praise God that I'm not just a pastor of this church, but man, this is my family, and I know who will be there for me because I know that I know whatever comes my way, whatever is sitting out there waiting on me, I will never be alone. I love what Paul says in Philippians he writes this letter to the Philippian church in chapter 1, verse 27. You don't have to look it up. He just says this, stand together and fight together. Stand together and fight together. That's what prayer is. Prayer is simply standing together and fighting together. Man, you may say, Brad, I don't know how to pray. It's awkward to me. Get over it. Get, just get over it. Stand with somebody and fight with them. 
I, I love what Pastor Jim Simbola of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, he says this. He says, what prayer is, is it's standing in the gap and it's grabbing a hold of God's hand and grabbing a hold of the other person's hand and never letting go. I am not going to let you go until we and God and all of us make it through this together. I love this about our church. We are a praying church. And it's not just up here at the end of the service. When we close today, if you're brand new, we're going to have a prayer team up here. And it's just so beautiful. And they're going to be available to you for prayer. But what I really enjoy seeing is the prayer that happens outside of this environment that Sometimes the prayer happens in the aisles, sometimes it happens in the back, in the seats, happens in the lobby, the parking lot, the kids' wing, I've seen it in the youth room, in the offices, happens in your workplaces, it happens in, in your homes, it happens in core groups, it just happens, it happens everywhere. And I, I love that because, man, one of the worst things we can say to people is this, hey, I'll be praying for you, because you know why it's one of the worst things you can say? Because we always forget. I always forget. I can hardly, if I say, hey, I'm praying for you, then I see you the next time. You're like, Pastor, thanks for praying for me. And I'm like, you're welcome. I think. Yeah. feel bad. That's why we don't just say, I'll be praying for you. We always stop and pray. If you're brand new, be warned. Do not expose any kind of hint of trouble or circumstances in your life because someone will say, well, let's pray right now. And if you're getting cottage cheese at the grocery store, good luck to you because you're going to be praying in the frozen food aisle. <laughs> what I love and what I, I think is one of the most beautiful pictures of our church is when I look out somewhere and I see a hand on a shoulder. Like when we were down here, I saw you all putting your hands on somebody's shoulder. Have you ever had that for you? Like, you know what that feels like? Those of you who are just down here like, it's not the prayer, it's, it's, the, it's the hand that just says, I'm with you. It's just powerful. And we've got to pray for one another. This week I was with a friend of mine, and there was a, another buddy of mine was there, and we were just hanging out and talking, and all of a sudden in the middle of all this, he got a call, and um, it was pretty brutal news, pretty difficult, and it rocked him pretty hard, and he's like, I don't even know how to process this, and so we were talking a little bit, and I was just like, I don't know what to do either, man. Let's just pray, and uh, we walked over to the couch, and, and um, we just put our arms around him and just prayed so that our brother and my friend would know he's not alone. That, that's why, man, there is power in the pew next to you. In verse 13, Paul says this, when, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice what? Always be ready to practice what? Hospitality. Hospitality, Hospitality is where we get the word hospital I think that's a great picture of our church. Our church is a, is, is a hospital. That's why every week we say these words, there is hope, healing, peace, and purpose in Jesus, because we really believe that this is a spiritual hospital where you can find hope, you can find healing, you can find peace, you can find purpose. I, I don't think there's anything more frustrating than an emergency room. Is there not? Like when you go into an emergency room and you walk in and you're there because it's an emergency, 
And you walk up, and the glass is there, and they got the little hole in it. You can't even hear the lady. And she's like, do you have your insurance verification? I'm dying. That's my verification. Here, and she slides the clipboard at you. You know what I'm talking about? Slides the clipboard. Here, fill this out and have a seat right over there. Are you kidding me? How ironic is that? You go to, it's called an emergency room, and they send you to wait for hours. I say the next time she slips you a clipboard, just drop on the ground. And, ah, 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 you will get right in. Here's the thing. At Core Church, you do not have to wait in a waiting room for the doctor. You don't have to wait for the preacher. Well, I need the preacher to pray for me. I need the preacher to talk to me. I need the preacher to... You don't have to wait for that. Let me give you some confirmation on that. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, you... Come on, turn to somebody and say, he's talking to you. You. He's talking to you. You are royal what? Say this with me. Priests. You're royal priests. You're preachers. We're all ministers, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, say this with me, what? You can show others the goodness of God. That's why we are a family. That's what it's all about. It's about us just simply showing one another the goodness of God. It's about bringing people from the darkness into a wonderful light. And this is happening in our church. I love this. Just let me give you some some fresh stories hot off the grill. This week I was talking to a gentleman, a friend of mine, and he was telling me that him and his wife were working with two couples whose marriages were a train wreck and in real trouble. One of them in our church and the other one out of our church. He didn't even tell me who they were. I don't even know who they are. I don't need to know who they are. Why? Because he is being a minister. He is being the holy priest in that situation. I talked to another person, another guy. He was telling me, yeah, I was at the hospital this week visiting so-and-so. I was like, wait, who was in the hospital? Wait, what was going on? Yeah. Yeah, we went, but then a couple other members from our core group went, and I'm like, wait, 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 what? who, who, what? And I love that because I was like, I loved it because I didn't have to go to the hospital. That's what I love because <laughs> you don't want me coming to see you in the hospital. I, you know, my compassion, mercy gift, whoop, minus five. I mean, it's growing. I might get a minus three now, getting better. Uh, but, I mean, if I come to the hospital, I'm just going to pat you. Hey, how are you? Praying for you. Okay. It's saying the manual, I'm supposed to be here for 10 minutes. How long have I been here? 25 seconds. Ugh. It's grueling. Truth is, though, on it, being very transparent is I don't have a lot of compassion in me, but I have a whole lot of empathy in me. And when I know people are in real serious pain and a real struggle, I'm there. I'm going to be there. We need to be there for one another. I was talking to another member of our church, and they were telling me about somebody they were working with that comes out of a horrifically abusive childhood. And I know some of the story, I'm privy to some of the story, and it's, it's dark, it's difficult. But what I love is I didn't need to go meet with that person because this person was being a minister to them. That's who we are. We are a family. We are a family. We are a family. 